Early in the pandemic, filmmaker David Siv moved out of his New York City apartment and back to his parents' home in Bad Axe, Michigan. 2020 was a weird time for all of us, but David thought to capture the moment. It certainly was not my intention to turn all of these videos, you know, home videos to, into a documentary. It's just, you know, this American dream story uh, that I always wanted to share about my family told itself in such an interesting way with, with 2020 being the backdrop. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. For more than two decades, the Sivs have been maintaining their family restaurant in Bad Axe. David Siv's new documentary film offers a picture of the life that his mother, a Mexican-American, and his father, a Cambodian refugee, have built in a majority white small town. The film, called Bad Axe, leans into the tensions created by generational difference, racism, and fear. It's gotten a lot of attention at festivals like South by Southwest, the Freep Film Festival, and the Critics' Choice Awards. Director David Siv joined us to talk about the process of documenting his family's life and how family life has changed since the film's release. He said that when he first started filming the project, hitting the record button felt natural. I, I've always uh, loved filming and photographing my family. So, you know, when when they're talking to the camera, it's it's not really as if they're talking to like a filmmaker with the camera. They're you know, talking to like David, the brother, the son, right? It's it's mm-hmm. uh, part of my identity in that family. And I think that's what, you know, lends a film to uh, the intimacy and the rawness that it has is that uh, it, it for them, it's almost like the camera is like really never there. It's just me being there. Your parents started this restaurant called Rachel's that actually began as a donut shop. But but morphed into sort of a family restaurant. For those who haven't been to Bad Axe and who haven't been there, can you describe what it's like? This restaurant that has been so much at the center of your family and all your parents' work all these years. Yeah, so so it, it did start off as a donut shop, and um, you know my parents had to learn the hard way that selling donuts at fifty cents a piece to a, a community where there was like less than three thousand people just was not a feasible way to run a business and to raise a family. Um, so, you know, they tried different variations. It, it kind of turned into like an ice cream candy shop that still sold donuts. And eventually they ditched the sweet treats altogether and uh, turned it into like an operable restaurant. And uh, it still kind of looked like a uh, like a candy shop, but it sold like hot food. So um they never really got to reinvest into the business and really making it look like uh the restaurant it looks now until you know Jacqueline my oldest sister uh was able to you know go to college get a get a white collar job and then reinvest money in the restaurant um and you know once we were able to do that you know we completely renovated it and remodeled it and the ambiance totally changed and um it became the center of the community where People would come to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and first dates, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you go to restaurants for to celebrate. Um, And, and, you know, that was incredible to have lived through. And, you know, for me to have witnessed, um, you know, being a part of a family. And that's when I say, like, you know, I always wanted to share my family's story is because that story in itself, you know, even before I picked up the camera, that's the American dream story was all of us working together to change what was once a failed donut shop into 
one of the most successful restaurants in the entire area. What kinds of specialties are popular on the menu? Oh my gosh. Um, well, obviously sushi, which you, you see in the film. We have like these really amazing rice bowls, uh, which are great because it, it blends a little bit of uh, our Asian fusion uh, into like those type of dishes. Me personally, um, I love our barbecue ribs. They're amazing. I also eat uh, our Atlantic salmon all the time. It has like this like um, homemade coconut sauce that my dad makes. Um, gosh, there, there's so much good food. I mean, it's it's we have Taco Tuesdays every Tuesday, which of course is great. Get to celebrate that, that Mexican side <laughs> of ours. But no, there's there's a lot of good food on there. I mean, you know, a lot of it is like traditional American food, but um, there is, you know, a part of the menu that does have that, that Asian, uh, Mexican fusion. Yeah. At a restaurant that serves a town that size, it feels like you kind of, you kind of have to be all things to all people. Yes, you absolutely do. Um, you, you have to serve people the food that they're comfortable with. And then over time, hopefully you can, uh, once you've gained their trust, open up, uh, their palates and they'll try new foods. Uh, and, and you know, that, that food is, I, I say that because the food itself is kind of a metaphor, um, you know, for our family, uh, you know, growing up and, and being raised and being accepted as uh, part of the community of Bad X, right? Uh, it's the same with the food the, the, we had to get them comfortable with the menu and, you know, the food you would expect to, to be served at a small town restaurant, burgers, steaks, all that stuff. But then over time, as people began to fall in love with, uh, the, you know, I guess more American stuff on our menu, we were able to introduce more of the, uh, traditional things on our end, um, and, and really open up people's palates. So part of the film is a story that I think folks in the service industry all over Michigan and all over the country can identify with pretty easily. Just the hitting the, the, the brick wall of the pandemic and trying to retool a business, this family business very, very fast. And one of the things that was uh, amazing about the film is the way that you were able to show that as that was happening, all these new ideas, all these new methods, trying to figure out what it was like to run a takeout business, you and your sisters were trying really hard to protect your parents and protect their health. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about some of the conversations that you were having with them in that time? Absolutely, because it was such a scary time. It, I, I think anyone who was like watching the news and paying attention and seeing the people that were really being affected were, you know, that 55 uh, and up uh, age group and uh, and people with, you know, pre-existing conditions like, you know, my father. Um, so it, it took a lot of, you know, tough conversations and uh, really getting him to understand that he needs to stay at home and understand the severity of uh, what this virus is is doing. And, and, you know, he, he was aware of it, but, you know, my dad, I, and I think both my parents felt like they needed to be at the restaurant to look after it. So it was more so conversations of convincing them. They're like, no, we, we got this, like we can handle it. Um, you guys know how serious this is. So please stay at home and, uh, you know, isolate from us and take care of yourselves. Yeah. With, with a lot of swearing in those conversations too. <laughs> With a lot of with a lot of swearing in those conversations, <laughs> but I think I think a lot of young adults had those conversations with their parents. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it was an uncertain time. Uh, my parents did want to help out, but uh, they also had to trust us that you know 
after years of of working in the restaurant, we, you know, Jacqueline and Raquel and, you know, we could all handle it uh, together. One of the reasons I think this film will will be important over time is because of how you're able to bring together the omni crisis that was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the all of the family struggles of trying to live together, all of the the fear over what was happening with the pandemic, all the all the business catastrophe that happened. And at the same time, for a number of reasons, uh, folks in the family become more and more preoccupied with what's going on with Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. and what's going on socially in the country. First of all, I have to say there was a Black Lives Matter protest in Bad Axe, <laughs> population 2,900. Yeah. I mean, did you ever think that was going to happen when you were growing up? No, not at all. And and th- that's why that was such an emotional day for, uh, I think, everyone in the community that, that showed up to support because it's something that I don't think really anyone in, uh, in Bad Axe would have ever thought uh, people would come together and respond to this call of activism. I mean, it, it was such a beautiful moment seeing that happen in all places, Bad Axe, Michigan. But at the same time, there's a strong internal debate in the family about what it's going to mean to speak out in this town of mostly Trump supporters. Yeah, And I, there was there was something generational there that I think just played out so much in so many families yeah. uh, that, you know, your mom and dad were, were not as anxious to get out there and speak their truths <laughs> and, and were so painfully aware of how that might be received in town. What would you say was the tipping point that, that changed their minds? You know, I don't know if if there was a moment that really changed my parents' mind. And I say that in the sense where, um, like, you see the anxieties my father has and him having to explain, you know, like, look, the reason why we were able to make it in this, in this community is because we kept our heads down and we worked hard. We didn't speak up too loudly. You know, it's it's very much like that model minority myth. And, you know, when he sees his outspoken children, um, all of them wanting to, you know, support a movement that he knows in his heart is the right thing to do, but has to balance that um, internal conflict that this could result, you know, this could have backlash and have negative consequences on everything we worked so hard for as a family for, you know, over two decades. You know, those are those are real honest feelings that I think so many um, uh, Americans uh, and especially uh, people like my father, you know, that first generation um, had to come in contention with. I think by the end of it, you know, once once my dad was able to um, really see how passionate we were about sharing our voice, it, it, it we he you know he had to be supportive of it because the reason why we are who we are and what we stand for is because of him he's the one who taught us to be that way both of my parents did um so i remember there being a conversation where my dad you know realized that he taught us so well it's now time for us to teach him and 
now he very much you know he does support us using our voice obviously he doesn't encourage us to go face to face with neo-nazis and do it in that way that might not be the smartest way but i think you know after himself and my mom witnessing the real conversations that have taken place with this film and the dialogue the productive dialogue that has resulted as a consequence of it they they understand the importance of speaking up and sharing their voice and uh, very much are supportive of us doing that we need to take a short break more with filmmaker david siv in just a minute Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Your mom and dad are really proud, and I think we can say even before and after, really patriotic Americans. Uh, mm-hmm, absolutely. Did you did you see your parents' sense of identity, their sense of pride change during this time? I mean, they just went through so much that we saw on camera. And I wonder if you think they feel differently about America now. I, I think it has. And, and I think it, it's in, in the ways that, you know, I mentioned where my dad and my mom uh, seeing the what the power of using your voice and speaking up, uh, you know, what the positive effects of that can be. Oh, not that not that they feel worse about all this, but that they actually feel more of a sense of empowerment. Yeah, they feel empowerment in themselves, and it's like it's like I said that that what my dad has said is like you know he all, he's he's learned that he's taught us so well. It's time for us to teach him, and I think you know this aspect of us you know, responding to the call to activisms and using our voice is something I think he uh, and my mom have, you know, learned to embrace and uh, support us in. And that's something I've realized has changed over the course of making this film and even since it's been out there. Because you you see in the film how nervous my dad is about us showing up and supporting this movement. I mean, those were real fear of his. He He knew that the consequences would be that uh, customers would see his children supporting this movement. And as a result of that, um, they might not want to come in the restaurant anymore. And, you know, since, since the film has been out there and they've been able to witness these real conversations take place with some of those same individuals, um, and seeing them open up their hearts and their minds, I think it's really, really, uh, inspired them, you know, the importance of speaking up. This is just one piece of it, but I found myself thinking about the sequences when you included some footage of what was going on in Cambodia around the time your dad's family left the country. It was, it was, you know, what can you say? It, it was Cambodia in the seventies. It was very graphic. Yeah. There was footage of bodies and and very injured people, and I couldn't help but wonder. I mean, as Americans, we talk a lot about. 
you know, countrymen who came looking for a better life for their children or who escaped political persecution. But I just wonder if if people, even who knew your dad, really had a sense of what his family went through if they hadn't had access to or seen that footage, footage like that before. I don't, I don't think so, really. You know, I mean, my dad, um, in his community, in the Badass community, and amongst his friends, has always uh, been open to sharing his stories of Cambodia. What he never did, though, um, until very recently, was talk about how those stories has affected the person he is today how he is as a father as a business owner what drives him i mean that was something he was never really opening about until uh until recently and you see how emotional my dad is reflecting on his time in cambodia um and how thankful he is to have made it here in in the united states i hope it does paint a much more clear picture to you know his his friends and community members who he's always shared stories with that these stories are real and they have a real effect uh, a real weight that he must carry with them forever as a result of um seeing the most the worst in humanity you know that's why it was important to include that footage because there's not a lot of that stuff that exists uh, of Cambodia as far as real footage that depicts the killing fields and, and the Khmer Rouge. Um, I, I think those visuals paired with him being so open and emotional um, about his experience of being a refugee um, will hopefully allow people to understand his stories and the stories of the Cambodian people more. How are your folks doing these days? And how's business at the restaurant? Folks are doing great. They are they are enjoying being full time grandparents, and uh, uh, they've been on the road with me promoting the film as well too, which is amazing. We are we are on day forty four right now of our a forty five day trip. We've been on going across the country and and sharing our story at different festivals and screenings. Um, and and for them, you know, they never got to vacation or travel at all uh grow you know growing up and even prior to this year uh it's amazing that with this film we've just been able to you know been able to bring them to different parts of of the US um every pocket you can imagine and them being able to travel and just you know be celebrated for being so resilient and and putting their story out there so no they're they're really doing fantastic the restaurant is doing really well business has picked up uh, quite a bit especially since we put the film out there which um, isn't something we expected at all, um, but are very grateful for. Well, that was my next question. Um, the, the project gets very meta about three quarters of the way through the film because sure. yeah. there was a there was a trailer that was released, uh, so you could get the word out about the project, trying to find some backers, and people saw it, and there was some backlash around town. And I read that you had a screening of the the finished film in Bad Axe. And I, will you just tell us what happened after the screening and what the reaction was like? Yeah, 
So, so we put together this screening for a lot of the backers that helped make the film possible. This was back in May of this past year, shortly after our um, our South by Southwest premiere, and we wanted to do something special for those individuals. So we're like, you know what, we're gonna hold a screening for for people to get a chance to see the movie before it, it gets its wider release. Um, we ended up having uh, a number of open seats that evening um, after we were able to make sure all the backers had seats and. Many of those seats were filled by these skeptical individuals uh, who didn't get a chance to see the film yet, but, you know, were leaving social media comments and the ones stopping my mom in Walmart telling her they weren't going to support it. Um, they decided to, to show up that evening. And it was I remember us all being incredibly nervous because we didn't know if people were going to, you know, heckle or walk out or whatever it was, you know, that they were going to do to show their distaste for the film. But to our most genuine surprise, you know, once the credits rolled and the lights came up, the film was met with so much love from everyone in that room, including the skeptical individuals. I mean, um, many of them came up to either my mom or me or, or Jacqueline, and they said, I'm sorry. Uh, they said, I'm sorry for judging your family and your story before I had the chance to see it, you know, myself. Wow. And wow, that was just so unexpected. And it was really one of the first times um, I've gotten to witness the true power of cinema. And, and I say that because the true power of cinema is to create dialogue, but in order for there to ever be change, there needs to be dialogue in the first place. So being able to witness that firsthand and having and seeing these individuals open up their hearts and their minds to our family's story and being willing to have a conversation about it was was amazing and now some of them are like our biggest like supporters with the film and you know they might not necessarily uh agree with our politics and like that's okay but at the end of the day they're at least seeing us as their fellow community members their fellow humans uh most importantly their fellow americans uh they're not negating our experiences in any way uh in fact they were able to see the human side of a lot of the issues that were going on you know uh, behind closed doors and and what was going on in our country so it really was a, an incredible evening being able to share the film with uh with all sorts of people in the community of bad acts bad acts first hit theaters on november 18th you can find some different places to stream it at the website badaxfilm.com that's the stateside podcast for today i'm april bear you can find full stateside episodes for streaming at michiganradio.org. Today's pod was produced by Ronia Kavansag. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the podcast comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feeds tomorrow. See you then.